Hi guys, welcome back to the Say It With Grace podcast. This is episode nine in the Influential Women series. And today we are joined by Kirsty McCall, body confidence coach and the beautiful face behind Befriend Your Body. Welcome, Kirsty. Hi, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for making the time to join us today. Of course, I love your work. <laughs> uh, likewise, likewise. I think, you know, we've had we've had some conversations this week and it's been pretty amazing and we're both super excited to jump on the podcast. We are indeed. Yeah, so do you want to just start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So um, I, as you mentioned, body confidence coach, body image coach. So my core work is helping women who are perhaps so used to being in a space of hating themselves, hating their body, obsessive body checking, going from that to feeling confident, feeling amazing, loving the clothes that you wear, just feeling much more confident in, and authentically themselves. Um, and it's probably the most fulfilling work that I ever do, most life-changing work that I do. Um, and I, yeah, I love it. No, I can I can hear it in your voice, and I think even you know like the the passion and and the drive and and how much fulfillment it brings you. You can hear it in your voice and just when you're talking. Oh, thank you. Well, it's it's such important work because I think the way that we feel about our bodies affects every single area of our lives, particularly when we're so consumed by hating our body. It really stops us from living our lives, and we can feel really trapped by it. So it's a yeah, it's a really important. Um, piece of work I think and should be taught in schools but that's probably a conversation for another day <laughs> oh yeah I think that's something that we're trying to like put a little dent in slowly aren't we but you're so right and I have said for a long time you know like um so many years of education and nobody taught us how to love ourselves and why it's so yeah. important yeah exactly and I think you know it, sometimes loving ourselves can feel so far away from where we are today it's about breaking it down into steps that feels manageable um so that we can slowly remove the barriers to liking ourselves and wearing clothes that we feel good in and you know all of those lovely things that we aspire to have um it, we've got to make it digestible but yeah that's definitely the end goal no absolutely i think you know and when did you sort of start doing this um, so I started working with clients and started talking about Befriend Your Body. I think it was formed probably about three years ago now um, during lockdown. And it was a journey that I had been on myself for many years because I'd come from that background of hating my body, being consumed with diets, thinking that thinness. And when I got to being thin, I, you know, everything would be happy and I would be great and I'd get the best relationship in my life and everything would just be perfect when I was thin, that I started to realize that some of that wasn't true. Um, and so I started to kind of unravel all of this thinking and then took myself on a journey, which was a long journey, let's say, <laughs> to uh, reclaiming who I was again, starting to learn who I was, starting to piece back together who I am um and it's taken me to who to where I am today and who I am today yeah that's that's so beautiful and I think you know so many women have been through those struggles they've been through that self you know loathing and hating themselves and thinking that you know everything does begin and end with how they look and mm. if they were a certain size if they looked a certain way then they'd be happier and you know m men would want them and you know they, they'd be more successful and it is the be all end all of everything Mm. yeah for sure for sure and it's we know it's not true and you know we can find those evidence points within ourselves that it's not true if we really dig deep enough um for example if you were if you ever have a special moment or a photo in your mind if you imagine that in your your head and you can really put yourself in that situation so you're seeing what it is that you saw at that time you're feeling the way that you felt you're experiencing the environment the same smells the same sounds that you're that you experienced in that moment and in that moment if we take one of the moments where you were at your thinnest for instance or in a smaller body how are you really feeling truly really feeling in that moment and oftentimes, um, when I do this with clients, they 
might say initially, but yeah, you know, I, I felt great. And I encourage them to dig a little bit deeper. You go, what does that mean? Do you do really feel great? Or did you feel obsessed with um, perhaps exercising so much for this special event? Were you crying in the toilets because you were worried about eating something or you felt so disgusting and fat? Like, how did you actually feel in that moment when, when you were at your thinnest? And once we dig into that, they start to realize that actually in that moment, even when, when they were in the smaller body, they were also not happy. Yeah. And so that becomes this beautiful little case study so that when we, this frenemy voice, we're diving right into it today and I love it. So this frenemy <laughs> voice that I like to call it, which is this voice that is so familiar, but actually it's so evil. It's this enemy, this frenemy voice comes in and goes, yeah, but when you're thin, everything will be great. We can just challenge that slowly, but gently to say, yes, but when I was, I still wasn't happy. Yeah. And so from there, you can invite an alternative perspective. From there, you can start to explore, okay, so what does happiness look like to me? And how is that possible when it's not attached to my body? Because let me tell you, it's freedom. <laughs> wow. Yeah, honestly, I can resonate with that so much because I spent a lot of time, you know, my younger years, like worrying about how I look and what people think and, you know, a really negative body image and constantly at war with myself but then there was times in life where like I really took control of it and I you know during lockdown was really invested in my health and my well-being and I was working out I was doing all the steps the eating I, I looked in amazing shape but one it became obsessive it wasn't sustainable and was I really that happy internally because it was like you you were kind of trying to chase something that you were never going to fully get there because you've got to work at it every single day and how realistic is that mm. um especially when we went back to real life if you like because that was such an artificial time where we did have a lot more time um but it was just something that it was like well how, how realistic is this to carry on and how happy is actually making me you know yeah 100 percent um it gives us this false sense of control doesn't it it does it does yeah absolutely and you know family members would say like you're, be you're becoming really obsessed with it and everything is around that and you know trying to live your life and not being able to enjoy and and you know worrying about eating out and things like that like you know the, there's a lot of negative attached to it if you've not got the right balance and also if you're not happy inside you've not worked on your inner self mm. yeah definitely and it all starts with from within I mean it sounds like a bit of a cliche but cliches are cliches for a reason um it all comes from within. If you're constantly seeking validation from outside of yourselves, from the com comments on your body or compliments or otherwise triggered by comments on your body, then um, you're always going to be treading a very fine and delicate path because it means that your self-worth is built upon other people's expectations of you or other people's approval of you. And that's one thing that you cannot control, even though we like to think we can we cannot yeah, no, absolutely no absolutely like what you're saying is I'm just like sitting here like nodding because I completely agree <laughs> with you and you know I, there's so, so many patterns that I followed that you that you've described and I see other women doing it all the time and you know you just think wow like you're missing out on so much of everything that you are like focusing on what you think you're not mm. um but yeah just with that in mind I can tell that you know the role that that you're in now and and, and all the work you're doing it gives you a lot of fulfillment and, and happiness and joy and that's so important because we spend a lot of time working don't we so we've got to enjoy what we do um and just with that in mind I know that you've been through some times that were not so happy and joyful and you've been through quite a journey haven't you in your life um, yeah um I mean I think it's the uh, the same for a lot of women who struggle with bad body image perhaps they're focusing their uh, frustration and their hate towards their bodies yeah. it's often because of trauma right um and I am one of those people I you know I don't mm -hmm. preach something that I don't come from um yeah. and yeah it's it's rooted for me in um sexual abuse trauma as a young girl unfortunately um which took its toll over the years but you know there's a positive story that comes out of the back of it um of which course, I'll be happy yeah. to dive into but yeah it's not yeah, always absolutely. been that way 
Yeah, I think um, just at this moment, as we sort of start to delve into um, the story that you're here to tell and, and kindly happy to talk about today, um, just to let our listeners know that this is quite a sensitive topic and not everybody will feel comfortable to listen. So please, obviously, protect yourself and continue to listen if you feel comfortable. Um, but we won't be offended if you don't as well. But yeah, no, Kirsty, I'm really happy for you to share your story with me today. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. This isn't for everybody's ears um, and it will make some people feel very vulnerable. Um, so, yeah, feel free to step out and protect yourself. Um, but on the plus side, I do think that more stories and um, evidence of positive justice trials for sexual abuse cases need to be talked about. I've been involved in um, lots of conversations, which I'll get to shortly on the downfall of the justice system which let me tell you there's many having been through it um but there are also some success cases and so where mine starts was at the age of just 15 unfortunately I was groomed and abused by uh, a much older man who was I think he was 41 or 42 at the time um and that really was quite the the kind of milestone in my life, the line that was drawn where everything changed for me. Understandably so, because this man had just taken what was not his, which is my body, um, and used it for his own gain and then tossed me to the curb and assumed that there was no consequence from that. And unfortunately, there was deep consequences for me. Um and those consequences started to manifest in things like eating disorders, terrible perception of myself, um, and silence for many, many years. Mm -hmm. I didn't speak about it for a very long time because, firstly, I didn't understand what had happened. I think that was the biggest thing. I didn't understand what had just happened, and I didn't understand how wrong it was until... Cosmopolitan. <laughs> do you remember Cosmopolitan? I think it's still oh, yeah, around. I do. Of course. It, it has its flaws, but it also has its good benefits. And I remember, I think, so I was 15 when it had happened. I think I was sort of 18, 19, maybe even a little bit older than that. When I re re was reading this magazine in Cosmopolitan and it was talking about rape. And I read it and I thought, well, hang on a second, that sounds very similar to what I've just been through and it was like this light bulb moment has just gone off as though someone had said no you're right it wasn't right that what you'd gone through you should not have gone through that um but I still didn't do anything about it because I was surrounded at the time by adults who let's just say they had some self-interests to protect and one of those self-interests did not include my well-being, um, which meant that um, I was shamed for being involved with this man. And I say involved very loosely. That's sort of their terms, um, certainly not my terms. And I was shamed and I was removed from the situation. So let me explain what happened. So I was a dancer on... Um, uh, good old Blackpool Central Pier and we were backing dancers for these artists myself and colleagues at the time and as backing dancers you know we were there to support the acts and we did support the acts and it was one of the acts that unfortunately then went on to um, to abuse me now what had happened was when rumors had started to come out not through me I might add because I didn't understand what was happening and I was confused and silenced in it all um was that I was removed from the show when he was performing and so by me me being removed excuse my words by me being removed it gave me the impression that I had done something wrong it was as though I was the problem being removed from the situation and he was the one in the rights and being allowed to continue to perform with young girls my age, I will add. And so what happened after this was many, many years of shame that I carried for what I'd gone through. Um, secrecy that had weighed on me for many, many years. And I just struggled to trust men. I didn't like myself. I think it's fair to say I hated myself. Um, 
I thought I was unlovable. Trust was a huge issue, like I just mentioned. And there then came a turning point. And the turning point was I realized I was surrounded. So imagine the scene. (laughs) I'm at a friend's wedding and it's in Cyprus. So sunny location. And for someone who hates their body, it's like their worst nightmare. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Right? Oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to be in my bikini around other people. This is just terrible. Not my idea of fun. But here we are. It was a good friend at the time. So I'm sat around the pool and I just had this moment of, oh my gosh, I'm surrounded by people I've known for 10 plus years whose bodies have changed significantly and yet they are still with their partners and they are still deeply in love. So all of these beliefs that I had been building up, that I'm unlovable because of my body, that I'm too fat, I'm too disgusting, no one will ever like me and I can't trust men, started to dissolve in that very moment. Like I had this other evidence, this case study of, well, hang on a second, that can't be true. Because these people in front of me, my dear friends, are in loving relationships and their bodies have changed. And so with that, it started to make me question what had actually been going on with my thoughts. At that po- it, it was at that point that I realized my thoughts were a lie. And so I made the very brave decision to walk into my doctor's surgery as soon as I got home and I said I think something's wrong I have these beliefs I have these thoughts and I have a feeling that now they're not normal but I don't know what to do about it and I'm terrified thankfully I had a a really delightful GP and she was very kind she referred me for some CBT and some therapy which didn't really help in the first instance but what it did do is get me on the path to recovery and so in that path to recovery I met somebody who said to me it was actually my therapist who I'm still with now he's amazing um it was my therapist who said to me do you know who this man is that abused you and I said yes and she said do you know where he is And I said, yes. And then she asked me, do you know you can report this? And I kind of looked perplexed at her. And I said, no. And then she went on to explain, you do know this is wrong. It's an illegal reportable offence. And it's well within your right to report it. And in that moment someone had just lit a match and put it in my belly. And from there, this fire began to grow. And that fire said, absolutely, I'm going to do something about this. And I'm going to stop other women from feeling the way that I felt. And that fire has been burning ever since that conversation, five or six years ago now. Um, And from there, an investigation pursued. We reported him. Scariest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, And by the time it went to court, I mean, the the investigation itself was ended up being three years long, thanks to COVID. But I also believe in God's timing. And I think these things always come at the right time. We get the right jury. We've got the right environment, everything. It was perfect. Um, So it's a three-year investigation. When it finally got to court, um, it was nearly 20 20 years old historic sexual abuse case. So naturally, there's no uh, DNA evidence. There's no cameras. No one saw us. Um, But the investigation grew legs. They managed to establish creative and, in fact, creative perhaps undermines what I'm talking about here. But they pursued avenues that I hadn't I would never have thought to pursue um and they did a fantastic job and we thankfully secured uh, a conviction a guilty conviction on three instances one of rape and two of indecent assault and he is currently serving an eight-year sentence in prison so that's kind of summarizing the journey of um 
of what you uh, invited me to talk about um, because I, I think so many women are shamed into the shadows and I really want to remove the shame from being a sexual assault survivor. I want to remove the shame from having experienced it, from the women that are silenced and to do it for all of those people that have either been through it or never had the justice or aren't yet brave enough to do it. Um, but I invite you to perhaps explore what your truth might be. Wow. Wow. Honestly, I can't tell you, not one part of my body has shivered in the last few minutes. Has not shivered, sorry. Honestly, I've got so many things I want to say and ask. First of all, what I want to say is thank you. Like, thank you for sharing this with us today and being so vulnerable. But to go through something in the most impressionable years of your life you know I, I still think at 35 I'm still figuring out who I am and what I'm doing and what this life is all about so to go through something so traumatic in such a young early stage of your life and to keep it to yourself for so long as well like, mm. I can't imagine what you were, were going through at that time and you, you must have been so confused did you disclose to like family or anything like that it was a really difficult time. Um, so during that 20 year period, no, I didn't disclose to family. Um, there were some moments where they knew of something um, when it had happened, but not the full extent of it at all. And they didn't realize um, how terrible it was. I think they'd heard some rumors, but they also didn't have the tools to deal with it at that time. Yeah. You know, if you remember 20 years ago, we were in the environment where I feel like we were still in the, we were still in the environment of, you know, women are there to be seen and not heard. Mm. You're there to be pretty, but don't you dare talk back, but you dare stand up for yourself. And also, you know, our parents had grown up with probably even more severe thinking that women should be in the kitchen and, you know, men go out to work and do as they're told. So, yeah, I think, I, I after the incident I did not speak about it again no um there were select people that knew about it and thankfully they were brought in and agreed to give evidence during the trial which you know we hadn't spoken in 20 years so they had no need to do that they didn't want they didn't have to do that um so they were yeah very obliging and I'm forever grateful that they did I think um, you're really right as well because I'm a huge believer in like the universe law of attraction I'm quite spiritual as well and I, and I truly think that like timing is everything it really mm. is uh, and the fact that you know when you were so young and you were so confused anyway how could you have possibly made sense of this but also had the strength and the courage to do something about it especially mm. when you hadn't been vocal about it you hadn't shared it with anybody and you didn't really have that backbone because we're, we're still massively grown as people now, never mind, you know, when we were so young. But I think that the right people came into your life at the right time. And these moments, like you said, where you saw that magazine article and, and something like clicked in your head and um, the fact that you had the therapist that, you know, was obviously a a lead on from seeing the magazine and realizing something wasn't right and, and things like that. It all happened in, in a timeline, didn't it really to lead you to where you are now. And also we are in, I know we're not quite, we're not, we're not even close to where we need to be, but these subjects are talked about now that they are more normalized. Whereas like you said, that was a generation where you shut up and put up, you don't have a voice and, and women are silenced, even if they do try to talk and it, you know, that's your job and that's, that's what you should be doing. Cause that's what good women do, you know? Um, mm. So you do wonder if it had come to light then, and you know, you had been vocal, how far would you have got versus how far you got now and, and the justice that was served? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, yeah, I wholly believe that it happened at the right time. Um, that isn't to say had it happened five, ten years earlier and we mm -hmm. didn't get the result that it, it was mm -hmm. at the wrong time. But yeah. there has to be a mindset change within society because society make up the juries that sit on these court cases. And we've started to see a lot more education, a lot more awareness raising. 
and understanding that sexual abuse is not a woman's fault mm-hmm. you have not worn a skirt that's too short and invited anything you have not not covered your drink and therefore you are asking to be spiked this is you know our behavior does not need to change it is the perpetrator's behavior that is wrong and needs to change so valid it is so valid because in this day and age like we're in 2023 and we're still made to feel like it's our fault and when you get the comments in the street the whistling the inappropriate behavior it's because of something we've done or something we've worn and and women are still accepting the behavior because they think it's some fault of their own Mm, definitely I mean I remember gosh it was probably I think it was two years ago now just which feels like it's longer than it is, but I was walking down the street, broad daylight, it was midday, it was lunch hour, and I know it was lunch hour because I was going to an appointment. And I was walking down the street and this man just makes a comment. Gosh, I've even forgotten what the comment is now, but some inappropriate comment. And I just thought, you know what? I'm not having that. (laughs) He chose the wrong woman that day. I wouldn't recommend everybody do this, but I felt safe because it was a public space. It was right outside of McDonald's. He was with another guy and I thought, no, I'm not doing this. So I just turned around and I said, excuse me. And he said, whatever he said again. And I marched right up to him and I said, do you think it's appropriate to say things like this to women? He's like, oh, well, you should just be grateful. I was like, excuse me? I should be grateful. I just want to walk down the street and feel safe. I just want to walk down the street and not be drawn attention to from your sexual appetite. I just want to walk down the street and have no attention paid to me in that respect. I'm not inviting this. And he said, oh, well, you should just ignore it. You should just ignore it. Why can't you just ignore it? I said, why do I have to ignore it? Why can't you control your behavior? How would you feel if you had a daughter walking down the street and she's being ogled like a piece of meat? That's not safe. That's not nice. Why do you think it's acceptable to do that to women? Anyway, suffice to say, he was truly embarrassed and I trotted off, having given him a good (laughs) lesson. (laughs) You know what? He definitely chose the wrong woman, but there is no reason why we shouldn't feel that we can't. Well, there's obviously plenty of evident reasons at the moment but we should feel like you know we get to that point where we can stick up for ourselves and we can back ourselves and I think in, in you know with my point of view I personally would think if I was you if I can't stick up for myself and back myself what was this all for because you've felt for a lot haven't you you really have mm, mm, yeah definitely I you know I, as I was going through the court case the the, f- the sole focus of what was driving me was to help and protect other women yeah, yeah. protect him from doing it to other women mm-hmm. and also to send a message to society um that you can't get away with this anymore even if it's 20 years ago you're not getting away with it so you best be shaking in your boots because we're yeah, coming no. to you <laughs> absolutely no and I think was there like any point during you know that when you went and you you spoke to the police and things like that where you felt like you do you feel like you weren't going to get anywhere or you know, do, do you, from the, I know you said like you had the fire in your belly and things like that. Was the points where you felt defeated or like giving up? Oh my gosh, there were so many points. It felt surreal. The whole process was surreal. From I'd never walked into a police station in my life. Yeah, yeah. Never mind being interviewed in a police station. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the first moment of you know the plainclothes police officers coming and knocking on my door um at home was surreal and I thought oh my gosh what am I doing like there was this it felt seeing them in their uniform and sat on my sofa and asking me very intimate questions and vulnerable questions Mm -hmm. like it it, you know it's just plain as day and they've got their radio going sergeant blah 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 (laughs) was like oh, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know if I'm worthy yeah. of actually reporting this. That's what initially kept going through my mind. Wow, so you had some like strange form of <clears throat> imposter syndrome where well, you were like, what am I doing here and what's going on and should I be here and hmm. questioning yourself and your worth as well in that moment? Well, it was less my worth. It was more about, do I have a right to report this? Yeah. yeah. And I think that comes from society and our media honestly blaming women gently but subtly for men's behaviors for so long 
Um, and so I had to battle with that quite a lot. And then from there, I had to go into a, an actual police station and be mm-hmm. interviewed. And so that was terrifying. Um, and I have, uh, there's a photo on my Instagram feed somewhere um, that, of a, the photo of the, the recording of me being interviewed, which I just, it makes me oh. sad to look at it because I just look so scared and understandably mm-hmm. so, like this was very real, but I just knew I, I had to say my truth. And I just told yeah. them what was true, told them my experience, told them what happened. And I knew that that was enough. Mm-hmm. And the more I did that, the more support I got the, from the police. They believed me from the from the off. I must say yeah. that very clearly. Yeah. They believed me right from the off. Um, I suppose what sort of what sort of um, motive have you got to bring that up after so long and drag yourself through it as well? But mm-hmm. the other question that I was going to ask, which you have actually just touched on, what support did you have from the moment that you? Um, put yourself forward and, and 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 made that initial you know I'm going to report this what support mm. was in place for you so I already had a therapist who I mm-hmm. mentioned right at the beginning she said do you want to report this so mm-hmm. I was starting out with her so I would encourage anybody who's going through something so major to definitely get the support of a good therapist yeah. um, at the same time when you go through these investigations you will also get um, allocated something called a SOIT officer Gosh, don't ask me what it's called, what it stands for. Maybe something like sexual offences, something, something. Um, basically someone that's on your side that will guide you through the process and is there to hold your hand. Because it's a very intimidating process. You need someone to just pick up the phone and speak to. They will, if necessary, walk you through court like a, a week or months beforehand so you're comfortable mm-hmm. with everything. Mm-hmm. So I had my SOIT officer who was fantastic. So it's a bit like a um, welfare officer, isn't it? Sounds yes, like. exactly yeah. that. Yes. Um, and then I also had a fantastic CID investigating officer. He yeah. was very matter of fact, and that's something that if you're going down this route to prepare for, understandably, they are very matter of fact. They want to know the principles, the um, what happened, and they will be interviewing you and all of this stuff. Uh, but he was fantastic. And, you know, again, he supported me and the investigation throughout the whole thing. And so I was very fortunate. Would I say it was perfect? Would I say that they didn't put a step wrong and, and you know, say some things? I'd be like, oh, hang on a second. No, absolutely not. But it honestly pales into comparison to the, the benefits that came out of the investigation and the good work that they did to get him convicted. Wow. See, it's just so interesting because, like you say, most of us are like law-abiding citizens and we've never had mm. any involvement with the police at all, never mind something to this point and this level. So it's just interesting to hear like what the process was like, what was the support like, and also for anybody that might be listening that has been through something awful, you know, it may not be similar to what you've been through, but in any way, and they feel that, you know, this listening to this story has given them some courage to, to go forward and, and, and you know, tell the police and report it uh, or even tell somebody so I think you know there's a lot of people that might be able to take something from this and and that's why I just thought I'd ask about the support and how about um, personal support as in like friends and family? Yeah I got incredible support now naturally this kind of um, topic invites uh, conversations with people that you might not have had or maybe Mm -hmm. you've not had for a very long time and People were incredibly, incredibly supportive. It was also the time when I was learning to be supportive for myself and ask mm-hmm. for what it is that that, that I needed. Um, and so I started to do that. And the response from friends and family was just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Um, and I continued that. I continued the voice that I started with, I continued to ask for support as I went through because you can't go through something like this without support, um, both professionally and personally. I think it's it's critical. No, absolutely. It, it, it really is key. And also, when you think about it, that you went from something that you didn't speak about for how many years to then opening up and reporting it, but then making yourself vulnerable because the world knew you know Mm. that's so big in itself and in that sense like how did you protect yourself as well 
So just so just before I get on to how I protect myself, um, I want to reassure everybody listening. So the world knew because I chose to tell the world. So as um, a, a sexual assault survivor that has come through a case like this, you get lifetime anonymity. So I could have gone through that case and my name would have never been mentioned anywhere. And I could have moved on with my life without talking about it perfectly happily. And that was well within my legal right. But the reason the world knows is because of that fire, that match that lit the fire in my belly way back when my therapist says, do you want to report it? And that was driven by a need to remove the shame that I'd experienced for the last 20 years. And if I'm going to remove shame, there's a lady called Brené Brown, who I'm sure you know, and her one of her phrases is, shame grows in the shadows. Yeah. And it was really important to me that we bring light to the survivors of sexual assault. It's not for me to be hidden. Why, why on earth should I be hidden? Well, I haven't done anything wrong. I should not be the one that is kind of carried off into the corner as though it's a bad thing. He's the one that's done something wrong. And so it was my choice to tell the world. It was my choice to waive my anonymity. And what that meant was um, I was interviewed by the BBC shortly after the sentencing happened. And that went global. I was really pleased we were really pleased with the impact that that had so it started with localized news and then got picked up by global news to the point where it was the third most read article on uh, the BBC News's website at one point so it had incredible reach but that was absolutely my choice yeah. because this message has to get out um, and then I was interviewed I was well I was invited to participate in a Channel 4 debate on the trial process in the justice system with um with rape cases and unfortunately it's it's rather well unsuccessful because it is to the victim or survivor for want of a better word to demonstrate why they are guilty rather than the other way around and so it's a very difficult thing to prove um which means that the successful conviction rates are something ridiculous, like 0.01%. I mean, for it, for it to even get to court, it's so minimal. But having said that, for it to get to that stage, it has to have been communicated to the police. And there is absolutely power in having your voice heard and telling your truth to the police, because should they do it to anybody else, that is always on their record. And importantly for yourself, you have spoken about what is true for you and you've done the right thing by yourself. So wow. I just wanted to caveat that. The world knows because I choose them to know. If you were going down this route, you have um, you are entitled to lifetime anonymity. So how did I protect myself? So I think there was emotional protection and physical protection. The emotional protection was buried my deep, buried myself deep into therapy and uh, armed myself with tools that I knew helped. Journaling, crying, often an under, underrated tool, if you ask me. Absolutely. Um, asking for support from friends and setting boundaries. I don't have to talk about it with everybody, to everybody. Um, sometimes I won't want to. And... The physical support as well. So doing the things that make me feel safe during that time because it's a very unsettling period. So that looks like having duvet days if I wanted to. It looks like putting on my favourite music or playing my favourite food and having a night in at home for me. Um, it looks different for everybody, but mm -hmm. I, I broke it down into physical protection. So how can I feel physically safe in an uncertain time and how can I emotionally protect myself? Wow. Wow. And I think, you know, throughout this process, the thing that, you know, is consistent, you put yourself first and you did everything you could to to get justice and what you deserve, really, because all those, as we said before, that timing is everything that happened at the time it should. About all those years when you kept it to yourself and you w went through all these processes of self-hate and, you know, feeling unloved and unworthy and, and, and you know, you didn't deserve that. And I think justice w was needed. And, and the fight that you've put up for yourself as well honestly 
wow I'm, I'm so proud of you because like you said a lot of people would be scared and even the thought of you know that person finding out that they'd reported them and and you know just going out into society it's very scary it's terrifying it's terrifying yeah. um, you've took such a massive stand such a massive stand and it was almost like once that fire was lit in your belly there was just no stopping you 100 percent, 100 percent. yeah that's exactly how I would describe it it's it's honestly amazing and one of the things I was going to ask was I think I've had a blank moment I think I'm just so like <laughs> thinking about why everything you're telling me because it's just such an inspiring story and you know I'm how many times do you hear on the news or like the stories of like women that have come forward and like back themselves to the end like this? Like it's, it's just amazing to hear. I think you have to carry on talking for a minute because I completely <laughs> lost the question. No, you're absolutely fine. I was just going to add a comment on um, when you said, you know, many people would be too scared and it's okay to be scared and still do yeah. it. We yeah. can do things scared. We can do things terrified. Um, I mean, I remember the moment when I walked into the courtroom, I had this whole priming thing set up, like I was going to wear these shoes and I was going to do this and blah, blah, blah. And it was going to be like this. And, and then I walked into the courtroom and I saw him for the first time in 20 years, this man who had abused me. And it was like, oh, that I could not quite prepare for. Yeah. Um, and so you just have to ground yourself and remind yourself of why you're there. And that yeah. you're worthy of being there. And it was wrong. Um, in those moments, did you feel like you had to almost talk to yourself, like internally and like tell yourself those things? Yes, yes, definitely. Um, it, and remind myself of that fire that had been lit in my belly, which was no matter what happens here, people are going to see who you really are. Yeah. No matter what happens. I think that's huge as well, the fact that you had to face him after so long and so many years. Yeah, that's a, thank you for playing that back to me, actually, because, again, the point of clarification, I didn't have to face him. Mm-hmm. So That was going to be my probably... next question. Yeah, did you have a choice? <laughs> yeah, so you're probably learning that I'm a little bit stubborn once I've made my mind up yeah, on something. that's what I picked up on. <laughs> um, no, I did not have to face him. So I had different options available to me. And, you know, if you go through this process, you would have the same. So I could have been in a different room. So I could have been recorded and almost mm-hmm. like live streamed into the courtroom. I could have been in the same room, but had a shield so that I didn't see him. So I'm just looking at the jury and the barristers. Um, but again, I my stubbornness, my bloody mindedness said, no. I want to see, I want him to see that I am not ashamed. I want yeah. him to see that I've got nothing to hide. And I want mm. him to see that he does not control me anymore. Yeah. I want him to see that I've won, no matter what. I can understand that. And I, and you sound similar to me because I think I personally would think this is the closure. This is the final yeah. justice. And actually I did nothing wrong. So why should I hide away and hide my face in shame? And in a sense, you hid away for a long time because you didn't tell anybody, you didn't disclose it, you know, so enough was enough. And also I think I would think personally, if I'm going to go in, I'm doing it all. Yeah. 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 I can, I can, I can completely understand that. And I'm, so, I know I keep saying it, but I'm so proud of you because that must've taken a lot. But I think once you were, you know, I'm out here in the open, I, I, I've reported it, I'm taking the next steps, then, you know, I'm going to take him for, for all he's got because what he did to me was, was wrong and it shouldn't have happened, but I'm not going to hide away during the process. And this probably did bring you the closure and the, you know, the, the healing that you needed as well. It brought me a lot of things. It also brought me PTSD. Which yeah, was not... I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, which was not on my bucket list of things it would bring me. Um, and I'll be honest, it was it was a very difficult two years after the court case. Um, yeah. You know, many people were saying to me, you've got the closure you needed. Hopefully you can move on now. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking, why am I, why, why do I not, why can I not f- keep hold of this celebratory effect? Yeah. Um, and it was simply because I put myself in such a raw, vulnerable situation mm-hmm. um, and exposed myself to that throughout the, you know, the last three years, really. And then to him, finally, physically in such close proximity, again, my choice, that I really struggled um, because my body had been working on um, 
automatic, this driven, stubborn, I'm going to do this kind of mentality, which was one way of protecting myself, but I wouldn't recommend it for everybody. Um, that meant that when it had happened, my body finally went, oh my goodness. Okay, I can, ne- yeah. I can now release everything that I've been holding in. And so <laughs> there was some work to do to unravel and experience that and feel that and allow that to dissolve over the course of time. I think but, as well, you must have been running on so much adrenaline for those three years and almost in survival mode of what you need to do to get you through the case and, and be strong and things like that. So you probably were holding a lot back. And once the three years were done, there's probably an element of like, what now? But also like really fully ripping the plaster off and allow yourself to feel all of and, absor- and uh, process what's happened as well. That's a really nice way of putting it, and I will probably steal that to explain it next time. It's ripping ripping the plaster off and seeing what's underneath and really allowing it, giving it air to heal. That's exactly what happened. And now, yeah, it's it's life changing. I mean, he is in bars. (laughs) Enjoy that. Um, But I think most importantly, um, I've been believed. I've had my story heard and I've helped other women who either haven't been able to get their perpetrator or aren't ready yet. You know, I've had so many women reach out to me Mm -hmm. to say the same thing happened to me or you've done it for me as well. Thank you for getting us justice. It gives me goosebumps and that's exactly why I've done this and why I've gone public with it. Yeah, no, I I can completely understand that. And I think, you know, just even messages like that and people saying that it makes it all worth it because you not only fought for yourself, but for all for all the women that have also been through something like this, something similar, domestic violence, because there are people that may never come forward. But even just listening to you and hearing your story might just give them a little bit of healing or, or some form of closure in a different sense um but honestly the other question I wanted to ask as well is um I don't know if you're comfortable or if it's quite a big story to delve into Mm -hmm. the story you know how you said that like obviously because of the amount of time that went on it before you did report it and whatnot um obviously there was no like physical evidence like how did they go about that Mm, yeah good point so it comes down to ultimately with these historic cases your word against theirs sometimes yeah um and it's down to the investigation to build your case Mm -hmm. naturally it's down to their barrister the defendant's barrister his barrister to build his case yeah now when you're trying to build a case that's made up of foam (laughs) which lies basically Mm -hmm. it doesn't really have much grounding no and all that I kept doing was saying we're just going to tell the truth that's all we're going to do we're going to tell the truth. We're going to say it how I experienced it. And if that works, great. If it doesn't work, I've told the truth and I will be comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a conversation that I had with the CID officer is when there's no physical evidence, it ultimately comes down to your word against theirs. And I had a lot of credibility. Many women will have a lot of credibility. But one of the key differentiators that really helped secure the case um, was diaries at the time. Now, 15-year-old girls keep diaries. And I mentioned I was in a show. And one of the other dancers um, remembered writing about it in her diary. Not writing about it, but writing about the context that sat around it. And... When the police contacted her, because I said, you know, there was these other dancers in the show. um, She said, well, actually, yes, there is a diary. And thank goodness she still had that diary. So the police had a look at her after all these years, which is why you will never know where an investigation can go to unless you try. So she very kindly gave evidence in the case. Her diary was used by police to build the case against him um and we also invited other witnesses you know the investigation um found other people who i did not even know existed (laughs) i didn't know them um to talk about yes we knew something was happening we didn't quite know what or you know whatever Mm -hmm. it is that they would have said um and that really helped build our case wow something 
like that that you would never have thought of would you mm-hmm. and also to, I think we are a very like sentimental um generation aren't we so like to keep things like that after all these years like I couldn't imagine this generation now to do that but back then we were we'd keep everything you know the scraps of paper the letters and all that sort of thing and you know you did keep a diary in your teens and that wow and she must have put some sort of entries and things that did include comments about something that was going on right exactly that yeah yeah exactly wow that is such a a powerful piece to the story if you like I guess Mm, it's yeah it's we're very fortunate very fortunate um because it takes a lot to get a case like this even to court it has to go through what they call or what I call actually these little tests tests of do we have enough evidence tests of will it withstand a trial and and things like Mm -hmm. this and so it takes a lot for it to get to court Mm -hmm. um which is why I would just encourage anybody to not look at this the statistics let me get my teeth in not Mm -hmm. look at the statistics because it's limited it really Mm -hmm. is limited but I think part of what stops us is the fear yeah the fear of the unknown and the shame Mm -hmm. and go ahead I think what really kept you going was that self-belief though, wasn't it? The belief that like you 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 are gonna do this, you're going to get justice, um, all the way through. Like you pushed on and really believed in yourself, I think. And I believed in other women. Yeah. I think I had a purpose greater than me, and that purpose mm-hmm. was to help other women. And because mm-hmm. it was about something that was bigger than me, it really drove me in the tough times. Because it wasn't just, you know, I didn't feel like I was just doing this for me. I, I couldn't, I don't know if I could have continued the way that I did if it was just for me. Yeah. But because I had this bigger purpose to help other women, and that mm-hmm. was much bigger than me, then I felt like I had a duty that I had to see this through. Because there's so many, you know, situations and stories and, and things that have happened that, you know, people are silenced and you don't hear of. And that's a frightening thought, isn't it? That, that it's happened to so many other women and, and, and they've done nothing about it. They've not felt strong enough or, or that they could actually speak out and, you know, kind of accepted what happened to them. Because I've heard of stories as well where people have just said, well, I just thought that's how it is and yeah. I, should just, I should just accept it or, you know, just keep my mouth shut because it's easier. No, I'm shaking my head as you say that. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, it's scary how common it is and you still hear things like that now in 2023. Yeah, definitely. And and there will be some women who are too afraid to speak out and don't want mm-hmm. to and you don't have to. You really, really don't. Yeah. So if that is someone that's listening today, then just know that what happened to you is absolutely wrong. It should yeah. never have happened. And they are the ones in the wrong for doing that. It is not your fault. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Because this um, impacts so many parts of your life. Like you, I, I watched the video, which we will share with the with the followers as well, of course, um, where you were interviewed by the BBC. And you said how much you struggled for years to, to, to feel like, you know, you deserve to be loved and that, you know, trust in meeting somebody and things like that. And all really natural things that your heart desires and wants in life. And why shouldn't you have, you know? I know. I know. It's... It's heartbreaking how much it impacts your life. Um, yeah. It impacted my life, you know, stopped me from getting into relationships for, for so long. And I projected the hate that I had for him mm. at myself and thought that was the problem. Yeah. And was it after the the case was closed and, you know, justice was served and he was sentenced? Is that, I know you said for a couple of years, like you still really struggle and there was a lot of processing and, dealing with what had happened and the fact that you've been running on so much adrenaline that you had kept a lot you know sort of locked up inside where was the where do you feel there was a turning point after that um good question because I don't really feel like it was a turning point rather than a a slow but gentle coming back to life moment and it that started by doing the things that I had stopped doing. You know, I realized if I kept isolating myself, if I kept not seeing friends or doing all of these things, then I would continue to feel the same. And so I started firstly by identifying what are the activities 
and behaviors and habits did I do when I was happy and vibrant and confident? And so can I start doing some of those? So that's where I started. And so it was then a gentle return home to who I am. Wow. Wow. And, you know, like anything in life, it's a it's a work in progress, isn't it? Like you, we will never be fully healed and we will never be fully over some of the things that we've been through. And this is no exception. It, You know, you chip away at things and there might be days still where you might have a low day or, you know, there's, there's flashbacks of, of what you went through because what you went through was such a major trauma, but then the process of taking it to court and getting justice as well. Um, so I know I, it, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be fair for me to say like, oh, you're completely fine now when like you've got this great life. Like I'm sure that there, there, there are still days and you are still working through um, your journey, if you like. Yeah, for sure. But I will say it's pretty good now. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I'm so pleased. Like when we sort of um, virtually linked um, earlier this week and you were telling me all about what you do and uh, people's journeys and where they're at when they sort of meet you uh, to where like you want them to be and you want to support them to be. And it was like the difference in, in your face and your emotions and your expressions. And I was like, I could just see in your face like it makes you so happy. Oh, I love that. It really does. It really does. Um, It's just the most amazing privilege that I get to see these women transform from feeling the way they do when they arrive, like just trapped and frustrated to at the end and throughout the journey, like they're blossoming into themselves. It's amazing. I feel very privileged. And what I'd say is as well, like from this experience that you've had and what you've been through, this is one huge positive that you've taken from it because you went through a journey of like self-hate and and being at war with yourself and taking it out on you. And, you know, you are taking a huge positive where you're supporting women that that have been through things and, you know, self-hate and maybe like myself growing up where I'm told that like, you know, things about my image and how I look and really turning it around with them, but being by their side through that process and hand-holding. Yeah, definitely. That's exactly it. Yep. Yeah. So I think um, what I would like to say is I think there's a whole other sort of area that we, we will at some point explore. And I'd love you to come back on again and obviously talk about um, befriending your body. And, and, and that's a whole other subject about body confidence in itself and the amazing work that you do but one thing I would like to ask I guess just off the topic we've discussed today is um, there are women out there that you know have been in relationships that have not been so pleasant um you know things have gone on whether it's mental or a physical abuse and things like that and it it does really end up impacting people you know for a long time even if they choose to move on from the relationship and and things like that um what advice would you would you give to to women like that um the first bit bit of advice is you are not in the wrong Mm-hmm. seek out the support of friends if you can or and or charities and authorities yeah. so I think if we can we'll pop the number of um, the rape crisis line in, um, in the notes um, reach out to someone your voice absolutely deserves to be heard and even though it's scary speak speak even when your voice is shaking you can do hard things wow yeah I think you know these little sort of pockets of advice are so so um influential for people like you know people that listen to the story today and things have resonated or something in their their mind has made them think you know even to reach out and get this support like that that's huge isn't it that's a huge thing to to have that sort of realization and and realizing that you do need help because that's really where it started for yourself wasn't it Mm, yeah that was the brave step it was the realization that the thoughts that I'd grown up with were perhaps a lie but I didn't know what to do next and it was at that point that I reached out and said okay guide me yeah wow yeah wow and I really truly hope that you know anybody that has listened today and feels that you know they've been through something uh, traumatic and whether it's physical or mental that they can take something from this but also take that first step for themselves as well and whether that's therapy or um 
contacting one of these helplines you know we I really do hope that people can and um, what we will do is um just for the listeners we will leave um, a, a list of links of, of resources and support that you may be able to tap into and if of course you need any direction or anything like that we, we're both available for that and our inbox is open I'd say yeah yeah 100 percent. people can find me on instagram at kirsty.mikel um tiktok is just kirsty mikel or one word and then come over and join the private Facebook group, which is Befriend Your Body with Kirsty McHale. Oh, I, um, I also need to do that too. <laughs> yes, you do. Come over and join. Um, if you want more, it's all on Instagram. There'll be different links to how you can work with me and so on. Absolutely. And of course, I will be sharing all of this information um, when the podcast goes live. And please do feel free to get in touch with both of us. And if you want to obviously there's loads of body confidence and body positivity posts on Kirsty's page and she's an absolute ray of sunshine <laughs> whenever <laughs> I pop on your page honestly I do feel like really uplifted and inspired so if you need that little bit of oomph in your day definitely pop on and, and, and pop you a follow as well but listen thank you so much for coming on today and and being so vulnerable and sharing your story with with us and I'm, I'm really truly grateful for that Oh, well, thank you for having such an amazing platform, Sonia. It's it's incredible. Um, delighted to be here. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. And one thing I will say, just on a finishing point for the followers, we connected through somebody else that I'd collaborated with. So network, mm. like use Instagram and the platform that we've got to network with other women. Like when other women come together, empowering things happen. So honestly, reach out to people, pop people a message. If you like the you know the look of somebody's profile and their aura pop them a message like it goes a long way doesn't it so far yes exactly that well thank you so much again I can't thank you enough and honestly I really look forward to the podcast going live and for people to hear your inspirational story thank you so much Sonia thank, oh, you. thank you thank you bye bye